0: Worship 1-2-3. We are going to finish this out tonight and then next Sunday. So we only got this sermon and one more left to talk about um, worship. So we've defined Christian worship as the sincere satisfaction in God that displays His worth. I hope you guys will have that definition at this point. But that's what we're talking about. And we also clarify that by talking about worship 1-2-3. So, in this, we've talked about how God is the one object of our worship, and that we worship God in two contexts gathered and scattered. And now we're going to talk about the audiences of worship. The audiences. Remember, worship, by its very nature, is something that is displayed or shown or expressed, so, it's an outward expression. It's not simply what you think about God or what you believe in your heart about God. Worship is something that you show, you express, you display. So because it's an outward expression, that means we have to be concerned about who we're expressing that to, who we're displaying that to. We have to be concerned with the audiences, who sees our worship, who observes our worship, who should we worship Or how should we worship in such a way that we have these specific audiences in mind? So a lot of times when we talk about the audience of worship, and I mentioned this in the first sermon we ever did on this, um, worship leaders and musical worship people talk about there being an audience of one. Have you guys ever heard heard of that? There's an audience of one. There's a song by Big Daddy Weave that was very popular when I was in high school called Audience of One. But what are we emphasizing in that? For for musicians specifically, we talk about there's an audience of one so that we are not pressed to have a performance. So that we're not pressured or tempted to simply perform. It's not about the people who are not on stage. It's about the audience of one, God. So it has good intentions, right? It's trying not to turn worship, musical worship, into a production or a performance. But when we look at Scripture... We actually see three audiences and what I mean by that is there are three people there are three people that are looking observing how you live your life in such a way to display God's worth and those three audiences are God one another the church and the nations we're gonna look at each each of these so uh, first audience audience one is God Because God is the object of our worship, this means he's also the audience of our worship. God being all-knowing, all-powerful, he sees everything, he observes everything, so obviously he's an audience of our worship. He looks at your life, and he sees into the depths of your heart and mind, and he sees how you value him, and then he sees how you display and express how valuable he is. God is an audience of your worship. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2.15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. This imagery of aroma, of a smell, it's pointing back to the Old Testament where the Israelites would actually offer a sacrifice and God would, he would um, communicate whether he was pleased or unpleased with the sacrifice by saying whether he liked the smell or didn't like the smell. So Paul's using that imagery to say our worship is a smell to God. And it can be pleasing or it can be unpleasing. The point is that God is an audience. God is an observer of your worship. So God views our worship. God is an audience of our worship. Audience number two. These are are the people who are looking at how you live your life. How you display how God is worthy. Audience two is the church. Scripture speaks of worship being viewed by other Christians, other believers, other brothers and sisters in Christ. See how you live your life. They see how you um, display the value and worth of God. They are looking at you for that. The other people in this room are looking at you for that. In Ephesians 5, there's this command, don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And he says, this is how you, this is how you are filled with the Spirit. This is what it looks like to be filled with the Spirit. He says, you address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So who do you sing to? You sing to the Lord with your heart, right? But also, you're addressing one another. Don't miss out on that. Don't miss out on that. You are addressing one another when you sing the gospel. When we gather here and we sing the gospel... We are addressing one another. We're not simply singing and making melody to the Lord with our hearts. We're also singing and encouraging the people around us with the gospel. So this is just one example of how your life is supposed to be viewed and observed by other brothers and sisters in Christ to be an encouragement to them. You are supposed to be a source of encouragement with your life to one another in this room. So the the church is an audience of worship. Number three, nations Now, we're not just talking about like political entities or like governments. We mean unbelievers. In the the Psalms or for the Israelites, when they refer to the nations, this was the unbelievers. So, not only is God and the church the audience of our worship, scripture also speaks of unbelievers being an audience of our worship. Isaiah writes, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples or nations and proclaim that his name is exalted. In Psalm 96, it says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. So here's the thing you need to understand. Your worship is being viewed not only by God, not only by other people in this room, And not only by people outside of this building. Your worship, your life, testimony to how great and how good God is, is being viewed by all three of these audiences. This is what I want you to hang on to for tonight. We're going to be very quick. Your your worship should have all three of these audiences in mind. If your life does not have all three of these audiences in mind you are going to fall into a trap. You're going to uh, be unbalanced in your worship. And I'll show you what happens. So all three of these must be acknowledged. You have to know all three of these audiences. Look, if you only focus on how God is your audience, if you, you can be totally fine just you and God in a room, that's awesome to you. For me, sometimes this is the trap I slip into. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter how other people think my life is being lived. As long as me and God are tight, I'm good, right? But what that creates, whether you realize it or not, it creates isolation. You will fall into a trap of selfishness, of being inward focused, and you will be alone. And God did not mean for you to be alone. He saved you into a body of believers to be a community in Christ. So if the only audience that you care about and worship is God, and if that's the only one you care about, you don't care about your brothers and sisters in Christ, you don't care about unbelievers, you'll become more and more isolated. And that's a very sorry place to be because that's not how we're designed to live. We're not designed to live as individuals alone and isolated. We're, we're designed to live in partnership and community. Now say you just, you focus on the audience of church. You just love love coming to church. You love being with your friends here. You just focus on how awesome this place can be. Like when you think of worship, you think about the Sunday morning gathering. You think about uh, what lights and music and the preaching and the teaching and all that stuff that happens on Sundays. And what happens if you prioritize that one over all the else? You'll become a slave to preference. You will be totally dominated by what you think is most preferential, and you'll just become more and more comfortable in your life. We'll only do what is most comfortable or preferential. We'll only do what suits us in our context according to our preferences and our style of worship. And here's the thing. One, we have to make sure we're honoring God, right? It's not simply about our preferences and what our friends and other believers in Christ want. We have to make sure we're we're really wanting what God wants. But also, there are millions listen to me, there are millions of cr- brothers and sisters in Christ around the world right now who worship in a totally different way than you do, and they genuinely love Jesus. They worship in a totally different way that you do, and they genuinely love Jesus. So don't let your preference be elevated above your love for other people, for unbelievers and for your desire to honor God. Thirdly, if you just prioritize worship and what your life looks like to unbelievers, you will become shallow. You'll become very, very shallow. Well, in in terms of like the Sunday gathering, when we think of worship there, this is the church that just wants to be so relevant, so hip, so cool. They'll do anything to catch the unbelievers. Right? That's what they want. They want... Their, their worship audience is for unbelievers. They'll even tell believers, hey, look, if you're going to be here and you're going to cause ruckus, I'd rather an unbeliever have your seat. I just saw a church plant in Charlotte. This is not knocking on them. I don't know this brother in Christ. They launched their church as an ice cream truck. And they go around the city, which is kind of cool. But, you can, but their audience of worship is unbelievers. And they are focusing on that. That's their focus. They want to reach the unbeliever. They want their audience of worship, their focus is the people who do not know God. But here's the problem if they prioritize that over and above or without the other audiences, they'll become shallow. It'll be all about ice cream. And the gospel's not about ice cream. The gospel includes ice cream because it's a great and glorious gift of God. But it's not all about ice cream, it's not all about just reaching people. Right? You have to make sure that you're reaching people with the community of believers that you're in for the honor and glory of God. Right? So all three of these things need to be acknowledged. All three audiences of your worship have to be acknowledged. And if not, if you, you show preference to one above the other, these are the traps we can fall into. Is everyone tracking with me on the same page there? So uh, we're going to talk about each of these audiences tonight and next sermon. And so this week if we don't have a lot of time. I'm just going to talk about the audience of God. What does it mean? What does it mean that God is an audience of your worship? What does that mean? <laughs> As Adam, just <laughs> so distracting. Um, what does it mean that God looks down on your worship? I've got two practical things for you and two clarifications. Okay. First practical thing, we seek to worship in a way that honors God. If God is looking down on our worship, he sees how we live our lives. He sees how we display how worthy he is. Then that means the way that we worship, we should seek to honor God. It's about God. Because we can do all the right things to be comfortable here. We can do things to reach people. But if it does not honor God then it's all for nothing, It's all for nothing. So we want God to be pleased with our worship. We want his approval, not just the approval of one another, not just the approval of unbelievers. We seek God's approval. Number two, if God is the audience of our worship, we worship in public and private. How do you live your life when no one's looking? How do you live your life when it's just you alone in the house? How do you live your life outside of the church doors? How do you live your life when it's just you and the computer, you and the smartphone screen? If the way you live your life in public, the way you display God in public, is different from the way you display God in private, then you're not taking the fact that God is an audience of your worship seriously. You have to ask, if you are so radically different in public than you are in private, do you take the reality of God's existence to heart? Do you really believe God exists? If his existence, knowing he is watching, or he sees, or he observes, if that doesn't change anything for you, do you really believe that God exists? Matthew 6, uh, Jesus talks about, don't do things, he's talking to the Pharisees, don't do things just for other people to talk about how you do things, do things in secret, so that God will reward you in heaven, because if you just do things for other people to see you on earth, that's your reward, the clap on the back, the Instagram like, the, you know, hey, that was, you did a really good job, whatever. So this, this is one of the most practical things that it means for if God is an audience of our worship, our, our worship in public and private will be united. So there's two clarifications I have to hit before, before we move on. Because if I leave you with these practical applications, I, you probably already have a sense of it. God sounds like Santa Claus. He's always watching you, right? He knows when you're good or bad. And I'll give you presents if you're good, even in private. That's not how God is operating. Although we get the sense that God can see and he observes our worship, it's more than that. God is just not a very powerful Santa Claus. So these are some clarifications, right? God is not only watching our worship, he's also working our worship. God is not standing from afar and saying, Wow, that's my child right there. I saved by the grace of me in Jesus. And uh, I hope they get their act together. God is not simply looking down at you, seeing all your failures, your mistakes, your bad desires, your lustful thoughts, your cheating, scheming ways. And saying, man, I hope my kid gets it together. He is not only watching your life, he's working in your life. He's not leaving you at a distance to deal with your problems. He's brought you near through the work of Jesus Christ so he can deal with your problems through Jesus. So don't think, don't think that God is just looking down on you, waiting for you to get an A-plus on report a card, report card. He has declared you righteous in Jesus, and he is working that out in you. He's working in your worship. He's forming you into the image of Christ day by day. He's doing that if you are a believer and follower of Jesus. uh, There's a passage by Paul in Philippians 2. He calls us to work work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And he says, for it is God who works in you. So Paul calls us to work out our salvation. We got some work to do, right? But he says, it's God who's working in you. Guys, some of you in here need to have this encouragement today. That you cannot achieve what Jesus Christ has already achieved for you. You cannot work your way better than what God has already worked in you. And you need to know that. You need to let that free you. You need to let that encourage you and free you from this life of legalism that you have. So be comforted by that. And here's, this leads to the next point. God sees our imperfect worship through the perfect person of Jesus. So God is an audience of our worship, and as he looks down, if you are a child God, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you call him Lord of your life. When God looks down at you, he does not see all your failures and mistakes and all your could-have-beens and would-have-beens, and man, I wish they would have chosen that thing or made a better decision here. God looks down at you and sees a perfect person in Jesus. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. And that is the most important thing you can hear tonight about the audience of worship. God looks down on you and your life, and although you feel like a failure, I feel it too. Although you may feel discouraged, I feel it too. Although you may have a season of loneliness or sorrow because you just can't get your act together, God is calling you finished in Jesus, saying the work's done. Your imperfect worship that you bring to Jesus is perfect. Or bring to the Father is perfected through Jesus again. Let that free you. The Christian life should be this joyful freedom that we have in Jesus. So that is what we need to focus on when we see or hear about God viewing our worship. He's not some Santa Claus in the sky. He is a father who has lovingly stepped down into time, matter, space, history, became man, bore your sin and the penalty of death that you owe, So that he could look down on your life and work in your life perfect worship for his praise and glory. That's good news. That's great news. So that's what we have to look for. That's what we have to look forward to. And I pray that each one of us, including myself, are challenged by that uh, day in and day out.